Let me invite you now as uh, we are preparing to have a very special uh, service today, the ordination and inst installation of Ann Elder and two deacons. And I wanted you to turn your Bible to John chapter 13. I recognize that it is warm. It reminds me of the time that I preached at a state park in Mississippi outside on July. It was 95 degrees, 96% humidity. And I wore a suit. And I preached my little heart out to one family in the park that was camping there. I was soaking wet. I had to go home, take a shower, change, to go to the church service at my church to preach there as well. So it's warm in here. I know that. I am editing as we speak. This may be the shortest message you will ever hear me preach. Because <laughs> we have a couple of other things we need to do that are very important in the life of the church. One of those is, of course, to install and ordain elders, and that doesn't take a long time unless somebody just loses it. It'll, it'll be easy. And then we'll do communion, and uh, we'll be on our way. But hear now the word of the Lord as we read from John chapter 13, and I'm going to read the first maybe 16 verses of chapter 13. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it... Uh, around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, Not all of uh, you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought also, also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We know that you have breathed them out and that every jot and tittle is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and instruction in, in the way of righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. We ask you now to help us focus upon your word, to read it, to mark it, to learn it, to inwardly digest it, and to do so all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Jesus said in John chapter 13, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so today we want to talk about leadership in the church, and in particular being called to serve and to shepherd the church. And today is a very important and special occasion in the life of this church because we are ordaining and installing an elder and two deacons to serve and to shepherd this body. And every time we do that, every time we see somebody set apart by God, elected by uh, the people, every time we see that, it is a visible proof that what we've been talking about in the book of Hebrews is absolutely true. The Lord Jesus Christ is presently at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And the scriptures tell us in Ephesians 4 that when he went to the right hand of the Father, he poured out his spirit upon the church, and then he gave to his church gifted men. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that he gave to his church gifted men, and that the purpose of these gifted men was to serve the body so that the body might be built up and strengthened. And so when he ascended on high, he gave gifts among men, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. Now, there's a lot of every, things that Paul says in this passage. But what should catch our attention uh, is that in the first group of lists that are given to Paul as to what Jesus has given to the church, it's people. And those people are officers or servants or workers or shepherds or leaders for the church. So every time we see elders and deacons and even ministers being ordained, we are literally seeing Jesus pour out upon his church his gifts. Now that is very humbling for those of us who are being set apart for services. But it is encouraging for all of us as we see those gifts being given to the church even this morning. So it's a very significant time in the life of the church. But as we start thinking about this whole concept of leadership in the church and the whole concept of installation, ordination into uh, a called position in ministry, it is important to remember that there are three essential things I want to call your attention to to help us sort of navigate our way through uh, the passages that I have mentioned and the passage we just read. In the context, we know that Jesus is... This is the last night of his earthly life. He and the disciples have gathered in the upper room. He will be betrayed. He will be handed over to Caiaphas and also to Pilate and will be crucified the next morning. And they've gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And you remember that it is on this occasion, which during the course of the supper, he takes off his outer garments 
He drapes a towel around himself. He takes a basin of water, and he washes the disciples' feet, and then he tells them, this is an example for you. Now, I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. And so Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, and in many respects, his office bearers, and it is an occasion on which he wants to teach them perhaps the most significant lesson they can ever learn about ministry. Ministry, that is, without the physical presence of Jesus. And it is a lesson for sure about humility. So there are three lines of thought that I want to call your attention to today about ministry and about service. And the first one is this. Service in the kingdom of God is not about me, but rather about others. Now that seems self-evident, doesn't it? But I can remember when I considered to call into the ministry and I, I started going back to church and started watching and noticing how some of these preachers that I were hearing were like rock stars. They were celebrities. They seemed to have amazing power and command of attention and charisma uh, oozing out of every pore. And they were well-spoken and effective preachers. And I thought, well, yeah, I could see myself doing that. You know, I, I, I could see myself doing that, people giving me a standing ovation and everything being great and all the glory would come to me. That would be wonderful. But if you think for one moment, that is what being a God-called minister or officer in the church, be it elder or deacon, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. It is a call to serve. It is a call to serve. Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles, one time James and John were arguing over where they were going to have their place in the eternal kingdom with Christ ruling. One, one at the right hand, one at the uh, other hand, and they were arguing over who is the greatest. And Jesus tells them, that's what the Gentiles do. That's what the world does. That's how the fallen culture sees leadership. What stands out in leadership is how many people are under me, how many people are serving me, thus I'm a important because I have a lot of people working for me, therefore I'm great. Therefore, it's about me. But Jesus said, no, totally reverses it. The most important thing about my kingdom is not how many people you're over, but how many people you are serving under. How many people you reach out to serve and to spend yourself in ministry upon them. Now, Jesus knows that his hour is coming. He knows that there's going to be a, a transition in ministry. And he's self, he's, he, he had every right in John chapter 13 to be totally self-absorbed. He had every right in John chapter 13 not to give two rips about what these loser group of disciples were doing around him. He had every right as a human being to totally be preoccupied. And, and, and he's aware and he's conscious that his hour has come. And it's the hour for which he had come into the world. And it was the hour that he had covenanted with his Father in, in eternity on behalf of sinners like you and me. The hour is another metaphor, uh, is usually spoken of as the cup. Let this cup pass from me. A cup which he must drink, just as now he drinks the Passover cup. It was a cup 
that he too would have to drink, a cup that the prophets of the Old Testament have spoken of as a cup of bitterness, a cup of wrath and anger against sinners, and he will drink it. His hour has come, but not just come, but he knows that it's come. He's self-aware that it's come. He is now almost preoccupied with the thought of mission, of his purpose. This is why he had come into the world. And he's, he had come into the world to save sinners. He had come into the world in order to be a servant. He had come into the world in order to give himself on behalf of others. He had come in the world in order to die, in order to go to the cross and bear our sins, the sins of his people, and to drink the cup of God's wrath. And his hour had come. And he knew it. And it's almost as though now the dark cloud has come and moved from the horizon and now seems to be enveloping everything. Soon, this night, in a few hours, he would go to Gethsemane. And he will say these words, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. His sweat, as it were, Luke tells us, was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You would understand, you would perfectly understand if Jesus would now be so preoccupied as to not even consider the needs of his disciples. You would talk about somebody being under pressure and under stress. You would perfectly understand if, if this was a personal time for Jesus. You would perfectly understand if he was to say, I'm too busy now, I'm too preoccupied with your small, tiny, peripheral concerns. This must now be my time. We understand that. If you read the gospel, we, we'd say, yeah, I, I perfectly get it. I perfectly understand that. But foot washing? Foot washing? I'm not sure I understand that. But it's, it's not something that appeals to me very much. And I'm grateful that I have feet. It's not something I think a lot about until they hurt. But you'd understand in the gospels, he could easily look over to the guys and say, look, there's not going to be any foot washing tonight. It's too hot in here. It takes too much time. It's too messy. Let's skip the ritual. Let's just get straight to the point. But he does it because he wants them to have a living image and a living picture of what servanthood means and that he, the greatest person to ever grace the stage of planet Earth, takes the form of a menial, lowly servant, a slave a bond slave, and he washes the feet of his disciples. And that sounds strange to us, and it is a little bit strange. And, you know, he could probably say, well, you know, I know what the convention is, but no foot washing tonight. I'm too preoccupied for, with myself, and, you know, i got other things to think about. But I think the lesson he's trying to communicate to his disciples is what ministry is all about. It's about putting others first. We all have heard of and remember Isaac Newton. We remember him because of a book that he wrote, Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy, that's a, a little more interesting than a phone book. Uh, we remember, I'm teasing, it's a very interesting book, we remember Isaac Newton because of the laws of gravity, but it was actually Haley, or Halley, I don't know which, Haley of Haley's Comet, I'm going to say it the southern way, Haley. Haley's Comet, who forced Newton to reconsider his views and cajoled him not to rethink, uh, not a little, to rethink and redo his experiments and to meticulously proofread his mathematical principles of natural philosophy. 
We only remember Haley once about every 76 years. But actually, in many ways, he was the hero and not Newton. He was prepared to put himself second for the sake of Newton. Now, let me tell you something. It is naturally ingrained in us to be totally focused upon ourselves. We don't have to go to class or kindergarten to learn how to be selfish. One of the first words our children learn is mine. We, we know that. Be around a small child. No is number one. And mine is number two. We know that. We know that being selfish comes. What do you have to do to be a selfish person? Nothing. That's all you got to do is breathe and live. That's everybody. I uh, remember a family in Texas that was having a, a birthday party for their oldest son. He was about six years old. He had a younger brother about four years old. And the six-year-old son was so excited he could hardly, he was just trembling with joy. And so they go to get out, and his birthday party was going to be held at, I think, McDonald's. And so they all run out to the truck, and they get ready to leave, and the father backs up. And all of a sudden, he looks, and something, he runs over something with his back tire. And it was the four-year-old son. Now, let me get you to be relieved. He was not hurt. Not one bone was broken. He hardly had a bruise. A back tire rolled over the son. And immediately, the oldest son runs back and sees his brother laying on the ground, just run over, and he says, I guess this means we're not going to McDonald's and I'm not having my birthday. <laughs> you see how ingrained it is? Now, children don't hide it. We adults, we're a little more sophisticated about it. But what's in it for me? And to serve the church, if you're ever going to serve the church, and you're ever going to understand what ministry is all about, it is not about the glorification of me. It's about others. And you've been elected to an office. And it's about ministry, and it's about ministry to others. And it will involve a fair degree of thinking about the needs of other people. Jesus said, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What does it mean to be like Jesus? It means to put others first. The second thing is service in the kingdom of God is about enduring, self-giving love, loving the unlovely. And I'm going to do this quickly because of the context of heat. Um, loving the unlovely. I want to tell you something about what the church is and what the church is not. The church is not a museum. The church is not a museum full of plaster saints. What the church is is a mass unit on the battlefield. And people are getting wounded and people are getting hurt. The church is like an emergency room where people are brought in broken and scarred and hurt and their lives are totally wrecked and, and, and they made decisions which are obviously poor and they're in the worst kinds of situations. And if you're going to be involved in leading any kind of ministry or church, you've got to get down and dirty with that. You got to get down and dirty with that. You got to be right there where they are, giving of yourself. He loved his own, he tells us in John chapter 13. He loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Even Judas, who the devil had put it in his heart to betray him, it's knowing the devil's work, it's knowing that one of the twelve is his betrayer.
He divests himself of his own outer garments and goes through the ritual of foot washing. He loved them. He loved them even to the end. They were slow to believe. They were unteachable. They argued. They were arrogant. They were full of pride. They argued about places of position of priority and authority. Who would be head of the table? One of them would betray him. One of them would deny him. All of them would flee from him. And he loved them. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the point of his death. He loved them to the point of Calvary. He loved them to the point of giving his life for them. He became sin for them. He would bear their sins. They would be reckoned to his account. He would stand in their place. He would meet the unmitigated wrath of his heavenly Father against sin. And he will meet it. He will meet it to the full, without equivocation, without pulling back. He will drink of that cup until the last bitter dregs are gone. He experiences forsakenness by God. As Kevin mentioned earlier, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He loved them. He loved all of them. The undeserving among them, the unlovely among them, the ones who wouldn't necessarily ever love him back. And in that way, or in any way, he still loves them to the end. And that's what ministry is about. That's what Christlikeness is about. It's about loving the unlovely. You want a church where everyone is lovely? Sorry, can't help you. There isn't one. Not any church on the face of the earth is a church where there aren't unlovely people, difficult people, recalcitrant people, obstinate people, stubborn people. Look to your right and your left. One of you, no. <laughs> I'm talking about all of you. And that's, you know, I found out one time in church I was, I was that guy that was irritating somebody. And... Uh, Guy came up and told me one time, he said, we had this big moment in the service where the preacher stopped and said, if you've got something against anybody in the church, I want you to go tell them right now and make it right. I had a line of six people standing in front of me. <laughs> I was offended by that. I was totally in the dark that anybody could ever be offended by me. But they were. And that's what ministry is all about. That's what ministry is all about. It is about loving the unlovely. It's about dealing with people who will disappoint you. Sometimes people will betray you. One of the hardest things about being a leader in the church is when people do betray you, keeping a soft heart, still being willing to reach out, still being willing to love people and put yourself in danger of them stepping on your neck and crushing you, which occasionally happens. And you get to glory in sharing in the sufferings of Christ in a unique way. But that's ministry. That's what it's about. And thirdly, it's not only about others and giving of yourself to others. It's not only about self-giving love to the unlovely. It's about self-denial. The kingdom of God is about self-denial. It's about others. It's about loving the unlovely. But it's also about self-denial. 
Notice in verse 3, John chapter 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from the Father and was going back to God, John is reminding us something that he's already written in his prologue in the first 18 verses of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus had come from God, now he's going back to God, and John is saying, to us here in the upper room in the company of his disciples he's not only aware that his hour has come but he's also aware of who he is he's aware of his identity he's aware of who he really is he is not only Jesus of Nazareth but he is also the divine son of God he is the son of his heavenly father he had sat at the table with the creator of the world because he himself is the creator of the world he knows and is self-aware of who he is and yet he's prepared he's prepared prepared to wash their feet Booker T Washington interesting story who is the one-time president of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama he was passing through a certain neighborhood, and a lady of some means says to him, and he's an African-American, you understand, and this is in the South, and she says to him, would you be willing to chop some wood? And she said, I will pay you. Booker T. Washington says, yes, ma'am, I am honored to chop wood for you. And apparently that's what he did. He went and chopped wood until a neighbor recognized who he was, and he went up and said to the woman, Do you realize who this is that you are having chop wood for you? That he's president of the most famous institute in this entire city? Service is about self-denial. Self-denial. You read John Calvin on sanctification, that's his whole thing. That's why I don't like to read him on it, because I don't like self-denial. <laughs> It's kind of depressing. But if you're going to be effective in ministry, you're going to find yourself having to deny legitimate things in your life in order to serve others, being willing to give, being willing to do. Now, it's not at all glamorous. Not at all glamorous. But you know, Peter, through this episode, later on in his life, would write in his first epistle, that is the Peter who denied him, he would say, clothe yourselves with humility. The secret of ministry is to clothe yourself with humility. What is humility? Humility is not groveling. Humility is not nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I guess I'm going to eat some worms kind of stuff. Uh, it's not self-hatred. It's not self-loathing. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is an accurate assessment of who you really are, a sinner saved by grace. That you realize that Jesus came for the last, the lost, the least, the lame, the losers. That's who he came for. And that we are one of them. And when we see ourselves that way, our heart wells up with gratitude for who he is and what he's done. And then we're ready to deny ourselves. But you don't start with self-denial without seeing the cross. And seeing what he did there. And that's the secret of ministry. To engage in mercy ministry. Now, I'm about to wrap it up. Can you believe it? Shortest sermon in history. Except for maybe Christmas Eve. So you've got to think of others, not yourself. You've got to love the unlovely with an enduring love. 
and you got to be willing to deny yourself. Where are you going to get the power to do that? Because I'm going to tell you, you don't have it in you to do that. Not one single person in this building is naturally wired to do any of that. Where are you going to get the power? I mean, you know what you ought to do. You've heard what you ought to do until you have hardening of the arteries where it just bounces off of you like Superman and bullets. But where do we get the brokenness? Where do we get the humility? Where do we get the power? One place and one place only, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, the problem with all of us is incurvatus in se. What is that? We are all curved in on ourselves. We're just a big fat hog, all curved in on ourselves. And the only thing that can curve you out, the only thing that has the power to change you and to move you out of yourself into other people's lives, where does the power come from? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe it. The gospel is not entry-level information. The gospel is a functional power in your life. And you return back to the gospel, and you return back to Jesus, and you see who he is and what he has done for you, graphically portrayed upon the cross. And if he was willing to go there and do that for a worm such as I, how could I not also be willing to move out of myself and serve others? It will be a battle. It will be a struggle. It will be hard. You will say to me, Pastor, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I understood I was going to be doing. But that's where the power comes from. As we look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and we behold Him, we are changed by the Spirit more and more into His image. And the Spirit begins to empower us and move us out of ourselves. And we become no longer self-centered, but Christ-centered. <coughs> and to be Christ-centered, excuse me, is to move out of yourself into other people's lives. Christianity is relational. Intensely relational. It's about people. It's about loving people who don't deserve to be loved. Who will give you nothing in return for your love. And you don't have it in you unless you and I are tapping into the power of the gospel. So, that's what it means to be an elder and a deacon in a church. That's what ministry looks like. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that by your Spirit, you will write it deep into our hearts, into the hearts of each one of us, and that you would do so for Jesus' sake, that he may receive glory from what he's accomplished in these moments. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.